What is up? Welcome to the 49ers Camelot Show. I'm excited to have my guest, Jason Aponte. You know who he is because you're already reading him at Niners Nation. You're already watching him on the Gold Standard uh, Podcast Network. He's the co-host of Bully Ball. And two weeks ago, we had Steph Sanchez, who's the other host. And Jason, she brought it. So I know that you're going to do the same thing. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining me today. Appreciate you, Mark. It's a uh, Steph's a tough act to follow. Uh, one of my favorite people um, in this whole space. But I uh, appreciate you having me, man. And I'll I'll do my best to to follow her up. Yeah, <laughs> you'll do great. Uh, I enjoy listening to y'all. You do a great podcast, and and I'm gonna get into something uh, here in a little bit that you wrote last week on Niners Nation uh, that I was really intrigued by. So, so you you just finished back in February your second combine. Uh, in Indianapolis. So tell me about it. What, uh, what do you really enjoy? You know, what's that experience like? What do you love about it? Uh, what do you, what do you get out of it? Well, first of all, to be able to see people that we look up to in our profession, right? Like, I mean, I'm not necessarily in the media business, but I'm, I'm aspiring to be in that, you know, being able to shake hands with Matt Mayoko, Jennifer Lee Chan, talk to David Lombardi, all those guys who have been so nice to me anytime that we've ever crossed paths. And then, being able to speak to our general manager and, and ask, you know, questions, I think that's the best part. But I was kind of alluding to it a little bit earlier. This second combine experience was a little bit more eye-opening because of the nightlife. Hmm. And for anybody that doesn't know in terms of the combine, there's the combine during the day where you get to speak to prospects, general managers, coaches, and then there's the nightlife in which you get to see people in their element and just kind of being themselves and, and you know, when alcohol is involved – you're bound to run into a little bit more than you bargained for. And I think that was the stuff that I learned this time was that there is a little bit more to the combine than just going there and speaking to prospects and, and to coaches. It's that, that extra stuff about being social and networking a little bit more that is, is a little bit more important. That's interesting. So this is like in bars or restaurants yeah. or mm-hmm. that's, that's yes. really cool. So there's there's like two or three places where the coaches and the general manager is going to be. You know, uh, Steph and I actually ran into Adam Peters and John Lynch. Just spoke with them for a little mm-hmm. bit at at one place. But there's this one place that it seems to be the overarching place where everybody is, and that's Prime Forty Seven. In which got a chance to talk with Mike McDaniel, and he said he remembered me from the last combine because we spoke the last time too as well. Spoke to Von Miller and and other former players and. Coach Tomlin and, and you know, uh, it was Kevin O'Connell, who's huge. I had no idea that he was so big, even though I realized that he did play in the NFL. But all of those things are just guys just hanging out. It's more guys just being dudes more than anything yeah. um, there. And I think that's the part that I found the most interesting. That's really cool. And I think I remember I, w- I was traveling and I was listening to you and Steph on your podcast. And I think I remember you telling everybody that when you walked up that John Lynch immediately recognized her from her Nick Bosa. Uh, and, and I, I totally, I had her two weeks ago and totally forgot to ask her to do that or, or even ask her that story that had to have been pretty cool for her. Absolutely. And, and again, you know, a lot of this is about just putting your best foot forward and just trying to network and make sure that your face is seen. And And I think the 49ers have a very good grasp on who covers their team in, in different ways. So to be able to see Steph get that sort of recognition from the general manager and to call over Adam Peters and say, hey, this was uh, <laughs> this is the girl who does the Bosa impression. And they they explain the context and everything as well, too. 
very cool moment for for one of my dear friends and somebody who's ascending in this business. That is so cool. Well, let's talk about your time at, at the at the combine. Do you have a draft crush? Is there somebody that you're like, oh man, I wish we were in the first round so we could grab this this kid? In the first round, I mean, there's so many, and I think it's it's the edge players you're looking at more than anything. I think when you when you think about what you could have on the opposite side of Nick Bosa, um, you know, there's a bunch of them there. You know, Will Anderson. I, you know, despite all the things that's going on around this young man, Jalen Carter was somebody who um, I I'm still taken with, and I think that the hardest part that I learned about the combine and being at the senior bowl and, and, and a general manager once told me the hardest thing to scout, is not the player it's the person. Yeah. And do you, are you able to write off these mistakes as just their mistakes? Mm-hmm. Uh, will it happen again? Remember this is a results driven business. So you make decisions on investing in players. And if you invest in the wrong player, you may be out of a job. So love Jalen Carter. Um, I, I think the, the guys that I think are out of the range for the 49ers now that I would love for them. And I've been kind of just looking at second, third round talent just because the 49ers are just in that range, 99, 101, 102. Sam Laporta from Iowa. I would love to have him, you know, have another Iowa tight end in there. Um, I love Will Mallory, Jamie Robinson. Um, and I really, really am enamored with uh, Eli Ricks from Alabama, mm. who transferred from LSU. Obviously, these aren't first-round guys, but starting right. to think about guys that possibly could fall um, that the 49ers could get their hands on. But I, I do agree with what John Lynch said in terms of his process changing from the bottom of the draft and evaluating from there all the way to the top because I do think that there are third-round guys who should be first-round talents and, and vice versa. So I do think that the 49ers have a chance to really snag some impact players at 99 101 and 102 yeah for sure and you know it's it is hard to predict who they might be able to get when you know when you're picking so late in the third round and that's your first pick uh at uh, 99 are, are there positions that you think you mentioned the tight end are there certain positions that you think um they might uh, go after late in the third round I don't think it would be tight end. That's just a luxury. Okay. That's just me thinking out loud, me being an offensive guy and just thinking about weapons and being able to create mismatches. Um, I don't think tight ends at the top of their board. I would love to see them go for it, but I do think it's just going to come down to edge offensive line and secondary. When you look at the 49ers, there's not many holes right now at this point. Right now, right tackle seems like a question mark, even though there is an incumbent that you feel like can probably play the position. You can still probably do a little bit better, I feel. Nothing against Colton yeah. McKivitz. And and I do trust the 49ers to do the right thing because we had all these questions last year about the offensive line. But I would love to see another lockdown corner type be there. And nothing against Diamandola Nor, who actually played phenomenally down the stretch, mm-hmm. particularly in the playoffs. Um, Eli Ricks is somebody that I would like over there. You know, uh, Daniel Tomlinson's nephew from TCU is somebody who's very good that I've been targeting as well, too. Um, I just think that when you get past Lenore, because it's obviously Mooney Ward and him, the position becomes a little bit dicey and you do need a little bit of depth. So you can take a chance on a kid who maybe doesn't need to start right away. But, you know, if you have something, you can always move them in. And and at the end of the day, you can always move Lenore back to the slot where he was very successful as well, too, Mm -hmm. and really have a trio of cornerbacks that can really supplement this defense in terms of the defensive end, which is probably the only place that is a bit of a question mark, even though it's Nick Bosa and a cast of characters. So if you're going to take a step back on defensive end, 
shore up that secondary and shore up those cover corners. And that's where I'm kind of looking at. Yeah, I totally agree on edge, secondary, especially the corners and offensive line. The one thing that makes me wonder about the tight end, because this is a deep tight end class, is the fact that it it seemed like, especially in 2020, that Kyle Shanahan wanted to find a, a, another receiving tight end to go along with George Kittle, that he kind of had some things that he was working up, and it never, uh, they did, uh, gosh, who was that that they signed, uh, Jordan, uh, gosh. Jordan Reed. Yeah, Jordan Reed. And so I think that in his mind, he probably had some things in play, but then Jordan Reed was hurt part of the season. And then when he was healthy, Kittle was hurt. And so we never really got to see what that might look like. And so I, like you, I would be really intrigued to see what he might do with that. But, uh, but yeah, so I want you to finish this sentence. If the 49ers draft a running back in the third round again, I will blank be physically ill (laughs) (laughs) um and and obviously that's hyperbole right like you know you're but but just with the success the 49ers have had later on undrafted free agents i mean you look at jordan mason you look at elijah mitchell it it sounds like they have had a few years in a row right of trey sermon and and tdp but gosh no i mean at this point i mean you've invested this much in christian mccaffrey i think the, the idea and the hope is Elijah Mitchell will be healthy and you still have Jordan Mason. You can still draft someone later on, but please not in the third round, especially <laughs> when you have these glaring needs um, at impact positions. And you can, there's so much talent that we just talked about in this draft that you can have that can impact you right away. Right. Just please know. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I think like I'm an Oklahoma guy, so I, I follow the Sooners and watch – just about every game that they play. And so I really was all in on Trey Sermon. I thought when he was a freshman at OU, I, I thought he, this kid's going to be really good. And, and he was in college, but at Oklahoma, they just, the, the each year they seemed to play him less. And then he ended up at Ohio state. And so I thought that he was going to be good. I thought that Ty Davis price was going to be good. Uh, and, and maybe he will be, but so far he hasn't been, but here's the other thing. I, I thought I thought that Jalen Hurts was not going to be good. I, I did not think that he would be a good NFL quarterback. Watching him at Oklahoma, I didn't think that he could throw. And, man, I this is why I'm not a scout, <laughs> because I keep, I keep being wrong on these guys. So I don't know what uh, – those guys just they, – they know a lot more than, than I do, obviously. But – yeah, I'm with you. I, I I hope that the the running back comes late in the draft, or you know, like an undrafted free agent, like they've done in the past. Uh, they they score with those guys. I think that's the best part about the draft process, and why so many people are enamored with it. Right, like you have these guys that you find in the later rounds that you've been eyeing, and then you're right about that, and then sometimes. The, the guys, like you said, like Jalen Hurts, I mean, I've got a ton of draft misses myself, you know, like, and, and, and the same thing. It's like I'm enamored with the guy, his tools. You forget that situation matters, that, that you never know how players are going to develop, and I think that's the fun part of it. That's why if people had this down to a science, then everyone would do it, and mm-hmm. that's why there's so many comings and goings in terms of scouts, general managers, guys who actually evaluate this talent that, get it right in in tv like for instance matt mayock 
Then when he gets a chance to run his own team, right? You almost miss on almost every single pick. Um, so uh, it's it's that's it's an imperfect point. science. It's an imperfect yeah. science, and I think that's the most fun part about it. Yeah, that's a really good point uh, because there are others like him who just struck out and. Yeah, it's 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 got to be a tough gig uh, for sure. And then you talked earlier about character issues. You know, you have the Reuben Fosters who, man, he was so good in college. Let's take this chance. And, and it didn't work out. But then there are other guys who maybe they had some issues in college. And uh, Terrell Brown was one, uh, the cornerback out of Texas that uh, that played for the 49ers in the Harbaugh days. But he, they never had problems with him. So, you know, things happen and, uh, and, and, you know, I'm with you on, on Jalen Carter, you know, that just, sometimes we have to give kids a break. I mean, remember what, what it was like when we were in our early twenties or teens. And so, yeah. So let me ask you beyond the draft, do you think, uh, because obviously we're not there yet. Do you think the 49ers have done enough so far this off season? I think. They've followed their pattern of first day. They've got a guy that they targeted and they pay them big money. Now is the getting the best player at the position thing normal for the 49ers? No, which is what they've done with Javon Hargrave. But if you look back at this, this regime first day, they usually go right out and they get their guy. And sometimes that's Jerick McKinnon. Sometimes that's Quan Alexander or Malcolm Smith, but they target a guy and they get him. So I think the question becomes, does Javon Hargrave make up for the loss of Omenihu Abukam and the rest of this defensive line? Even Jordan Willis, which I was very shocked about. Mm -hmm. I thought that he was almost a shoe-in to come yeah. right back. And I thought that, again, Chris Koserik, who they're taking another chance on Clean and Farrell, and, and they've gotten guys that, that have been producing for them. I think it depends on what you believe Javon Hargrave will do for this team. And I do think that there is a bit of a chance that Javon Hargrave is so good at what he does because he was the the best player on the market that it does make up for that loss and him and eric armstead can become this this duo that i think is only surpassed by probably allen and Payne in washington and then nick bosa is going to be nick bosa and then if you can get a little something from your edge rotation the other side which i think the 49ers will whether that's Drake jackson whether that's a bevy of players as they normally do i think they've done fine um at mm -hmm. this point the other thing is it's april 11th and yeah. for all intents and purposes, for a lot of teams, free agency is over, especially when you only have $3 million of cap as the 49ers do. But there are so many impact players still available uh, right now. I mean, for goodness sakes, like Marcus Peters, Unique Ngakwe, Justin Houston. I mean, these, are, these aren't just regular guys. These are impact yeah. players. So to say, have they done enough? I think that they're still solidified as a top one-two roster in the NFC, depending on how you land. But the gap's closing, and I think a lot of teams have done to, done a ton to improve themselves. I think, for one, is the Dallas Cowboys. I know people don't want to hear that. I think another one is Seattle Seahawks, and they have mm -hmm. a chance to really improve themselves um, in this draft. But I do think that it's not over, and I think when we, when we look at the full scope of the team going into camp, I think we're going to say it's definitely enough. It's all going to boil down to the one question mark with this team that it seems to be every single offseason is quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is going to be the big thing. And, you know, I, I was thinking defensively, if they can get a little bit out of Javon Kinlaw 
you know, I mean, he would be a great rotational piece. I, I think that obviously he's not, he's not, he hasn't become who we thought that he would be, but, and mainly it's been because of his health, but if he could get healthy and they can get something out of him as a rotational piece, then but definitely along with Javon Hargrave, that defensive line could, could seriously uh, be good, almost as good as that uh, 2019 uh, uh, defensive line. So is there anything that you want to see them do from here on out, uh, whether it's in the draft or in uh, in free agency? Anything else that you think that they need to do? Just one more edge rusher, probably situational. And that's why I keep saying Justin Houston. I mean, you look at a guy who's 33 years old. It sounds like he might as well be 87 when you look at that age. But last year as a situational edge rusher for the, the Baltimore Ravens, his snaps dwindled in terms of what it was when he was three downs, but his pressures and his sacks went through the roof. And again, you know, you can still develop Drake Jackson and see what you have there while adding someone who can chase a ring won't be as as expensive mm-hmm. and can be an impact player. And I think that's where the 49ers are going to fill out this roster. And I don't know that they're going to use all 11 of their draft picks. I do smell a bit of a trade-up coming. So you are not going to have 11 players that you need to add to your roster one way or another. I do think there's some sneaky moves still to be made, whether that comes with the restructure, which I think the 49ers are kind of learning their lesson because D Ford still costing them $8 million today, um, yeah. even though he hasn't played. So I think they're learning their lesson on that. But I do think a situational edge rusher or perhaps a veteran cornerback, a la Marcus Peters, somebody like that who can play situationally, maybe be veteran depth for this uh, for this team. It's got to be guys that want to win now, that understand that I've made a bunch of money in this league and I want to join a team that has a chance to be something special. It has to mm-hmm. be one of those type of players. Yeah. You mentioned J- uh, Javon, uh, Javon Hargrave. Um, you mentioned uh, just some of the things that they've done, some of the things that they haven't done. What What have you been happy with that they've done so far? And what do you, what have they done or not done so far that you haven't been as happy with? I'm just surprised that they didn't really address edge in in free agency or try to keep you know Jordan Willis. Like I thought that was almost a shoe in, right? Like Jordan Willis, Kerry Hyder. I almost felt like okay, you guys are coming back. I understand that Omenihu had played his way out. The the word's been out that he has finally blossomed, I think, into the player that they thought he would be at his mm-hmm. draft cap. Same thing with Ebukam. Ebukam has been quietly solid for the 49ers and been somebody that um, I think a lot of teams have coveted. Um, but I just think the edge thing was a little bit perplexing, especially with the way that the 49ers build this team, which is in the trenches. Um, defensive line is what they seem to invest in. So I was a little bit shocked by that. But I think that screams to me that they have a ton of confidence in Drake Jackson and what he's been able to do. And who's to say that he can't because I think he flashed in a little bit of time. And I think you heard Kyle Shanahan at the end of the year speak about rookie wall and what he ran into. So I think that's very much in play. But I'm just a little bit shocked that they would lose Jordan Willis and a few other reliable rotational pieces because Jordan Willis has been impeccable. So, I mean, in the Bay Area, he shouldn't have to pay for any alcohol after the block punt <laughs> in Green Bay. And and he's just a part of 49ers lore. So I was a little bit shocked by that. Right. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I I wanted to see him bring back a Minahu, but I wasn't surprised that they didn't. 
just because he did play so well that uh, I wasn't uh, wasn't surprised to see uh, other teams uh, really coming after him. So, well, let's get into this piece that you wrote last week because um, I I obviously you know my show's called 49ers Camelot, so it's that it harkens back to the glory days when Bill Walsh referred to the 49ers as Camelot and Eddie DeBartolo called it Camelot and Carmen policy called it that, uh, Joe Montana's retirement ceremony. And so I, I, I really like talking about the old days. I don't know if a lot of fans, especially the younger fans who weren't around, uh, in those days, I don't know if they like hearing that stuff as much. Maybe it frustrates them, but, uh, I really liked that. And so I, I liked your piece. It was uh, for Niners Nation. It was called Three Franchise Records That Will Last Forever. So I want to go through those. The first one was George Seifert's win percentage and record. He, uh, with the 49ers, was 98 and 30. Incredible uh, record. Now he inherited a great, great team. And uh, that team was as dominant as any that we've seen uh, in 1989. I, uh, I'd have to go back. I probably should have done this, but I didn't. I He may have had at least two 14-win seasons. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe he, he may have even had a, a couple of 13-win seasons. Uh, but, yeah, he won a lot of games. So why do you think that he's not going to be reached? When you look at win percentage, when you're 98 and 30, I mean, that that extrapolates to, during his time, less than four losses per season. Four. <laughs> and he's never had less than 10 wins in any season. And he did have wow. two 14-win seasons, right? And obviously, the, the context behind it is what he inherited. Okay, we're not here to argue that. What we're here to argue is what's going to stand and what won't. This is going to stand forever because when you look at parity, when you look at NFL standing not for long, salary cap, all of these things, players not sustaining the level of time that that usually is is seen, right, with these teams, 98 and 30, someone may surpass that win total, but nobody will surpass that winning percentage. I mean, out of 128 games, you won 98 games. (laughs) I do not see how that's going to be broken. Love Kyle Shanahan, but he had an uphill climb when he started, and he just Mm -hmm. broke 500. And he's an amazing coach, and I think he may be the next one that we speak about when we talk about um, great coaches. But just to, to be able to come out of the gates and win a Super Bowl, 14, 13, 14, win another Super Bowl, 13, 14, 12 wins, 10 wins, 11 wins every single year, seems almost impossible based on the way that the league is going and how close the league is with parity. Yeah. And he, he's such a nice guy. Last year I wrote a piece for 49ers web zone on why Roger Craig deserves to be in the hall of fame. And I got to interview some of the, uh, some of Roger's teammates and I got to interview George Seifert and he was so nice. Wow. Uh, very, uh, giving of his time and uh, and even you know when we finished took time to ask me about myself personally and how i became a 49ers fan and so i i just i really think a lot of george seifert Um, and i do remember that when walsh retired i remember hearing some of the players say 
that they were more motivated in 1989 to win that Super Bowl than they were before because they wanted to prove they could do it without Walsh. And uh, so I think that that uh, doesn't say anything. I mean, that says a lot about Walsh in a positive way, but uh, they they wanted to escape his shadow. And uh, unfortunately, man, George Seifert, he, you know, Steve Young had to get the monkey of Joe Montana off his back. But Seifert, I don't know if he ever got the Walsh monkey off his back. Even, even when he won his Super Bowl in 94, uh, he still was, uh, it seemed like the fan base never really uh, embraced him like they did Walsh. Yeah, I think it's for all of those things that we talked about, right? A lot of a lot of the oh, well, he inherited this team and Walsh built this, and and I think that's very fair. But at the same time, I don't think you you're, you're underestimating how hard it is to keep that group together, mm-hmm. motivated, and I think it just goes to show you from what you were saying about the team being motivated under Seifert more that these guys hear everything and they're aware of <laughs> of what's going on, and I think that's really cool as well too. It's it's always nice to find out that the people that played for your favorite team or coached your favorite team are nice people and yeah. that they they're they're giving up their time and they still want to talk ball. I think that's that's a really cool story that you just passed along. But I do think that it, it does speak to this this fan base is very smart. And I think they understand everything. They can contextualize. Well, in 88, you know, you bring in Seifert, a lot of a lot of 49er fans probably say, Well, I could have coached that team. Well, <laughs> I understand the sentiment, but probably not. And I think that that underplays how well uh, Seifert was able to coach this team year after year. Yeah. Your second one was Jerry Rice's 22 receiving touchdowns. That's that's receiving. That's not total touchdowns. Nope. 22 receiving touchdowns in 1987. That was the strike-shortened season. That was in 12 games. Yeah, nobody's going to do that. <laughs> No chance. I mean, Randy Moss took 16 games to get that 23rd touchdown, and it, he was in the <laughs> last game that he got it. Absolutely impossible. I mean, if you loaded up Madden right now and you had a creative player and you tried to score 22 touchdowns in 12 games, 23 touchdowns with a rushing touchdown in 12 games, it probably wouldn't let you do it unless you were playing on absolute rookie. Yeah, Jerry <laughs> Rice, is just, this is why he's the greatest this is not only a franchise record that will never fall. This is something that you'll never see ever again. And uh, I thought this was pretty easy. I tried to stay away from just doing Jerry Rice um, because <laughs> yeah. you can just do all his franchise <laughs> records. But this one stands above the rest. The fact that we crowned Randy Randy Moss as the most receiving touchdowns in the season. But, man, what if Jerry Rice would have had four more games do you think that Randy mm-hmm. Moss would have even had a chance? So, yeah, right. I mean, uh, for my favorite player, this one was the easy one, and I think this is one that will never be touched ever. Yeah, not to mention that 1987 was a different time. That was a run-focused NFL where they could maul receivers at the line of scrimmage. Now they can't even touch them. You can't even breathe on them. And so not taking anything away from Randy Moss, but, yeah, so impressive that Rice did that in 1987 the third thing was frank gore's career 49ers rushing yards he rushed for 11,073 yards incredible career and yeah that's uh that's probably not going to be broken either yeah i mean it's it's more about first of all frank gore coming in with all these health concerns when he's drafted and then literally becoming the staple 
of durability. Yeah. It's just we talk so much about running backs using them for four or five years on their first contract and not paying them a second contract. And you kind of see the pitfalls of all of those things. We can go through the names like Ezekiel Elliott comes to mind right now. And that's now he's not he's not even employed right now, unfortunately. Derrick Henry is probably somebody that's next for this to happen. You have to play your entire career for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. You have to play nine years. And you have to be able to stay healthy this entire time to beat Frank Gore. I just don't think that it happens, especially right now in this era of Kyle Shanahan being able to find guys in the later rounds, undrafted free agents. And he just now traded for a back that is a premier back. But Christian McCaffrey is going to have to play for a while to uh, break this one. And he's already got the track record with the Carolina Panthers. So, yeah, I don't think this one happens. And it's just a testament to Frank Gore's durability and his his accountability and another thing during this time that he ran for all these yards it wasn't a secret what the 49ers were trying to do they didn't weren't necessarily trying to fake you out they were going to run frank gore 100 100 times a a game pretty much and you still couldn't stop him i think uh this is something that won't be broken he never had a really good quarterback that he was that he was playing behind uh alex smith had some good some good uh seasons uh, Colin Kaepernick had some good seasons, but never like the the kind of guy that we would think would would put up the kind of numbers that Frank Gore did. Uh, but yet he still did. Like you said, I mean, he faced a lot of eight in the box defenses because they didn't they, they weren't threatened by the quarterback or the receivers. And so I think that says a lot about him. Sad that at the end of that Super Bowl, they weren't able to get him into the end zone and uh, get him that touchdown and win that game. That's uh, that one still cost me some sleep. Mm-hmm. But all right, let's How do something times, fun. Let me ask you a question. How many yeah. times have you watched that Super Bowl? Let's see. I uh, of course I watched it live, mm-hmm. and I I recorded it. Um, I I went back and watched it in full at least once. Uh, I think that there have been, there have been some times that I've turned on NFL network and it's been on and I've just sat and watched a little bit, but man, it is hard. It's hard to watch both of those Super Bowls because you have the one that, uh, that they were way down and they should like, I, this is just my opinion. If they play the Ravens 10 times, they beat them eight. I mean, they were, to me, they were clearly better than that Ravens team. That Ravens team was old, especially on defense. And I think that they should have won that game. Patrick Mahomes, that's a different story. I never felt comfortable. Even when there was seven and a half minutes left and they have a 10-point lead, I'm still like I can't breathe because I'm just so nervous because that guy's so good. Um, But, yeah, those, those are hard to watch for sure. So I've only watched the I've watched the 2019 Super Bowl a few times. Um, I, I feel like that one doesn't bother me as much for the same reason that you are. It's, it's almost like you you can't contain him for the entire game. Like it's eventually going to break, right? Mm-hmm. But that Ravens one, I've only dr- given myself one more chance to watch it. And okay. that, those four downs, I know obviously everybody looks at the goal line fades and everything, but Colin Kaepernick on the first play is sprinting outside and he's going to walk into the end zone and they call the timeout before the Mm -hmm. play. That is the play that when I watched it again, it forced me to miss more sleep. Even as much as I'm just like, (laughs) why didn't you run the ball just one more time with Frank Gore? 
that one really, really hurts because they were they had it. They were on the doorstep right there, and they just the play calling at the end. You know, give credit to the Ravens. They they buckled up right there in the goal line. But that first down play, you know, because they had, had so many issues all season with yeah. getting plays in on time and and <laughs> get and and not taking delay game penalties. If you just let that play go, Colin Kaepernick walks in, and we're having a completely different conversation. Yeah, it uh, it is frustrating, and you know, especially when I when I watched it at the time, and you can see this if you go back. But at the time, on those final three passes, the Ravens were blitzing the crap out of Kaepernick. I mean, they were coming hard, and so he had to get rid of the ball real quick. I just wondered, man, if they would have seen that, could they have snuck something right, uh, right over the top, you know, right behind that? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not an offensive coordinator, but they had such a creative running game that, uh, like you said, I, I think if they would have run the ball again, they, they probably could have got in. But you know, what do we, what are we gonna do? I just my, I the thing I remember most is just shocked. Yeah. 49ers don't lose Super Bowls. Yeah. How did how did this happen? Right. But two things happened. happened in that Super Bowl that that has never happened. First time that a 49er quarterback threw an interception, yeah, and them losing a Super Bowl. And then one more thing that's just the, I, I hate to keep digging into this wound, but <laughs> the 49ers were such a an odd offensive team, right? You have Greg Roman calling the plays, um, first through third down, all through. You have Harbaugh yeah. in a certain section, weird. and then Jeep Chris calls all the plays in the red zone. Such an odd way to call plays. I wonder if one person was in charge of just calling all the plays, no matter who it is, or maybe Jim steps in times, things would be different. But it's just something that it was typical to hear that there were three different guys calling plays. It, it was a little odd to me even at that time. That is that is weird. And I, I remember now that you bring that up, I remember – I wonder if Jeep Christ was the one because we've we've given Greg Roman all of the nope, all, all of Christ. the heat for the for those three pass plays to Crabtree. So wow, that that gosh, I just uh, Greg Roman got him down, and then they they yeah. turned right around to to Jeep Christ and man, the rest is history. Yep, wow, I know. <laughs> wow. All right, well, let's finish with something something more fun. We're gonna do a word association game. I'm going to give you a name and I want you to give me the first word or phrase that pops into your head. Here's the first name, Javon Hargrave. Beast. Uh, best in the league right now. And I, I think, again, it, it's so, again, like we talked about how the 49ers target guys and they start their, their free agency this way. Very rarely do they target the best player on the market, yeah. the best right. player at the position. So, I'm just I'm just ecstatic to watch this. The thing that's the best about him is the production, but the durability. He does not miss games, and that is something that is going to be constant. He's going to be a force. I'm just super excited to watch this man play. Yeah, I had uh, John Chapman on, and he I because I, I, I wanted his opinion on that play uh, in which Brock Purdy got hurt. You know, did he like the fact that a backup tight end was was <laughs> given the job of blocking Hassan Reddick, you know, John said, Hey, that happens all the time. It's just that this time we noticed it because the quarterback got hurt. Um, but he laid it out and he was like, look, Javon Hargrave is the one that really threw this playoff. 
And, uh, and so he kind of broke that down. That was interesting. And I'm glad that, uh, that Hargrave is going to be playing uh, for the 49ers instead of, instead of against the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Here's the second name, Javon Kinlaw. Unfortunate. Um, I think, again, when you look at draft capital, a lot of people say, well, you were drafted in the first round. You need to be that. Well, Javon Kinlaw didn't draft himself there. Right. Javon, Kinlaw, Javon Kinlaw didn't draft himself to replace DeForest Buckner either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was an impossible task within itself. Um, but when you couple it with the injuries, um, mm-hmm. you know, again, you take a chance on a player, you like his skill set. Unfortunate things happen. I think it's unfortunate. Um, and I'm hoping that he's able to produce and and get on the field because whether he's a good football player or not, I don't think we can necessarily say for sure because he's just not on the field enough. So if he puts together a 16 game season, I think we'll have at least enough data to point one way or the other. Yeah, and you told me before the show started that uh, that it's great to be a 49ers content creator because this team always gives us content. Mm-hmm. And uh, for uh, along those lines, when uh, when when Ken Law had his thing with Grant Cohn, <laughs> I I actually wrote on that, and so and it got a it got a lot of uh, got a lot of eyes. On it, so. Unfortunate, <laughs> and and it's unfortunate that that's what we remember Javon Ken Law's time for. I know, well, I know. Unfortunately, so yeah, I mean, again, it just. You 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 bet on the player, you bet on the person, and then injuries are something that that take him out of any sort of evaluation process. Also, players become victim of their own draft capital, mm-hmm. even if they didn't draft themselves there. So I think it's unfortunate. Yeah, I feel bad for the guy. He came into the league with a knee injury, and um, I don't think he handled the the Grant Cohn thing the way that no. he should have. But mm-hmm. Grant Grant pokes the bear a lot, so uh, I'm not totally surprised that happened. But uh, so Trey Lance. Unknown. And, and and that's scary to think in the third year, right? Yeah. There's a lot of talk, and it's just talk at this point about trading Trey Lance. But a team would be taking a chance on this unknown and giving you draft capital mm-hmm. when you don't even know what he is at this point. Um, yeah, it's just unknown. And I still am of the mind that his drafting was a bit of a miscalculation and was not in line with the 49ers timeline. Mm -hmm. The thing that he needed was reps to take bumps and bruises. The thing that this team was, was trying to win now. And at the time they believed Trey would be the most pro ready. And I think he became more of a not a project. I don't want to say project because I think that's, that's unfair, but he needed more time than they were willing to give him. So he's still unknown, unfortunately. Yeah, I've written this multiple times that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan could probably survive Trey Lance being a bust. But if they trade him and he becomes a superstar and wins a Super Bowl, I don't know that they'll survive that. Mm. So they uh, they need to get this right. And I hope I really I like the kid a lot. And so I hope that this works out. I'm not anti uh, Brock Purdy at all. But uh, but I, I still want to see Trey Lance. I want to see him for an extended period, so we can see what uh, what we actually have with him. Hundred percent. Speaking of quarterbacks, Sam Darnold. Word association. So one word. Um, I guess interesting. And okay. what I mean by that is, you know, two years ago when he was transitioning from the Jets to the Panthers. 
I even took a look back at him because you look at how young he is, and then you have the, the throws on tape that are wow throws. Mm-hmm. And then you start to think, man, well, was it all Adam Gase? Did he have problems because of the weapons around him? Some of it's yes, some of it's no. But I think what makes the 49ers offense so special is that they take things off the plate for quarterbacks and they have guys running wide open and he has shown so much special talent. He's interesting, but I do not like the idea that people are interested in seeing what Sam Darnold can do in this offense without saying, I'm interested to see what Trey Lance can do in this offense. I've got a much bigger sample size of Sam Darnold not being good Mm -hmm. than I do of Trey Lance being anything. And I I just think that there is a little bit of a disconnect in terms of what you're excited to see from Sam Darnold when you have 55 starts, as opposed to what you should be trying to look forward to, which is Trey Lance after only four and whatever, how many starts he has. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan. Close, close, Mm. close. But when I say close, it's, it's weird because you say close because of how close his team has gotten. Yeah. But he's trying to do it in an unconventional way that it may never come to fruition. And let me explain. What I mean by that is most people get the quarterback and then the rest of the team. <laughs> Not the rest of the team and then just trying to figure out quarterback as you go along. <laughs> That's a good um, point. Again, Shanahan's offense is geared to – wide open guys, and and if you listen to him and you understand, Shanahan's offense is the show, is the quarterback, right? Yeah. The quarterback just needs to execute. And I think we mm-hmm. saw that at a high level with Brock Purdy, not to take away anything away from him. But what Kyle Shanahan is trying to do is buck the trend. So if you mm-hmm. go and you look back at Super Bowl winners, what are all of those Super Bowl winners? They are franchise quarterbacks, and they have guys that steal the show. Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, you go through the list, you go through the list. Nick Foles is probably the only one out of the recent Super Bowl winners that you can say is not a franchise quarterback. So Kyle's trying to do it the unconventional way. He's close, but he's trying to do it in a way that nobody's really done it. And I think that's the part where, unfortunately, it may not be enough because you can have all the talent in the world. You need that guy when when the chips get down. Wow, great point. That was that was excellent. How about Jed York? Uh, hmm. He's improved a lot and and what i mean by that is it felt like jed for a little while particularly after the harbaugh years Mm -hmm. was trying to put a stranglehold on this team as i'm the decision maker i'm the one who is picking the guys now from here here and here and he kind of wanted to get out of the shadow of well harbaugh is the reason this team is great when jed york was like, well, look, you know, I brought in Trent Baalke. Trent Baalke, for all the, the flack that he gets and the draft picks he missed, what about the draft picks that he landed? I mean, he, yeah. he landed some premier talent for the 49ers, and that helped. Now, obviously, Jim Harbaugh comes in and things change. But he's improved a lot because I think he's understanding now. I have my input. My pride has to go to the side a little bit. And he's kind of turned this thing over to Shanahan and Lynch. And who can argue with the results, especially with how quickly Mm -hmm. they turned this thing around since 2017. So I think he's improved. And I think he's learned a lot about pride, what's best for the team, and how you can still be a good owner. And I think he's been very much all of those things, uh, especially these past few years. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, uh, you know, when he fired Harbaugh, I was wishing that he had a Carmen policy like his uncle, Eddie DeBartolo, had, because uh, obviously it's been widely reported that, uh, that DeBartolo fired Bill Walsh multiple times and Carmen policy would always talk him out of it. And so I, I wish that Jed would have had somebody like that uh, at that time, uh, because that was, that was a horrible look. And then, and then to follow that up with, with the, the guy that he, that he hired to replace mm-hmm. Harbaugh, that was just a mess. How about Brandon Ayuk? Oh, untapped still. And and I think when you hear all of these rumors about other teams being interested, it's because the league notices. You know, if Brandon Ayuk was in a pass-first offense and was getting how many targets, because there are a lot of mouths to feed on this offense, I think you're looking at one of the top guys in the league. Mm-hmm. I still think there's a bit that's untapped. I think as of right now, you have who's incredible, George Kittle, who's incredible, Christian McCaffrey. All of these guys deserve touches. I think the league is going to figure out, wait a minute, why are we going to go and look in the draft for somebody when it's a guy who's still on a rookie deal that maybe we can get, you know, from the 49ers because they'll just say, hey, we pay Debo. We can't pay all these guys. Untapped, I think, is the best way to mm-hmm. to say his his uh, story because a lot of teams are now starting to focus their attention to him because I think he is one of those upper echelon guys that just hasn't gotten the shot to, uh, to shine yet. Yeah, I agree. He's he's so smooth. Last one. Kirk Cousins. <laughs> the one that got away. And I know this is word <laughs> association, right? And it's not uh it's that's not one word. But Kirk is the embodiment of what Kyle wants in a quarterback. <laughs> Execute the offense, will listen, has arm talent. He does, because I, I really think that a lot of people have given Kirk Cousins a ton of slack without giving him credit because they look at his playoff record. You know, there's always the joke, well, he's playing on Sunday night football, Monday night football. He's not going to do well, but I do think that there is a ton of talent still there, but he definitely is the embodiment of what Kyle wants a robot. He processes well, he gets the ball out quickly and he'll listen to Kyle. I think those are all the things that if he could take from Kirk cousins and give to one of his quarterbacks, he would probably do in a heartbeat. Just be like Kirk is probably what mm-hmm. he would tell them. Yeah. And you, I, I think I saw or saw or heard you say that uh, when you were at the Combine, the Kirk Cousins trade rumors were circulating then. They were. They were. And and again, it all lines up, right? Um, when you look at what John Lynch said at the Combine when, when we were at the press conference was, we won't know what's going on with Brock Purdy until we get in there. They had hoped that it would be six months, but I do think that there was still a real possibility that they believe it might be Tommy John. It might not be salvageable. Mm-hmm. And then as long as there are the one-year deal that basically he's on because he's a free agent next year, there's still that Kirk and Kyle connection, that was always going to be spoken about. And then at that point, if Kirk, if Purdy's going to go on IR, then this feels like a place where you move Trey Lance – for Kirk Cousins or something like that, and you have you install Kirk, who's been extremely durable, by the way, also. That's the one thing that he would be bringing over there as well, too. He's only missed yeah. two games, I believe, in his career. And then you can go right back into win-now mode, and you have Brock Purdy as your quarterback behind him whenever he does return. All of that stuff lines up. I wholeheartedly 
believed that that was what was going on because it was being whispered about around there. But then when you find out that Brock Purdy is only going to be on the six months, that takes that off the table. And that's yeah. the end of that until next year when he's a free agent. And then we can speculate <laughs> that he's going to sign with the 49ers. And and we all know that that's going to happen. Absolutely. The speculation for sure. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jason, thanks so much. You've been really generous with your time. No problem. Y'all make sure that you go and subscribe to the Gold Standard Network so that you can watch or listen to Jason and Steph on the, on uh, the bully ball podcast. It's a great show and uh, they do an amazing job. And while you're at it, uh, go to the 49ers Camelot uh, show, wherever you're at, uh, whether it's on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast, rate review, follow so that we can get our message out to more fans uh, and, and change lives <laughs> or, or whatever it is that we do. <laughs> Jason, thanks so much. It's been a privilege to have you on. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you, Mark. Thank you for the kind words. And it was an absolute blast to talk ball with you, man.